toiletries, uh, kids' nappies, all that sort of stuff. Um, you can bring that along with you any week and just drop it off in there and we'll make sure it gets down to there. Um, the other thing is you'll hopefully see in a couple of spots by the front door and by the food bank stuff as well, um, some little, whatever size that is, is, is that a five? I don't know. Um, things about CAP, Christians Against Poverty, Dundee. Um, I think if, if you know people where, you know, there's particular sort of struggles going on, then just to know that information is there might be helpful to sort of take one or two of those if, if ever you think there's someone who might benefit from having a chat sort of with them. Um, on the 16th of October, we'll have Karen, the debt centre manager here with us. It's CAP sort of Sunday, so I'll remind you lots of times beforehand. It'd be great to obviously to hear from her if you to get to meet her and everything. Um, but we'll also as well raise an offering for that to be able to pass on to that work too. <clears throat> Sorry, and then one last uh, notice before we sort of make a start is you will have uh, no doubt be concerned about the situation in Ukraine um, and perhaps wondering about what sort of specific ways we might be able to practically help and also sort of partner and support with people out there in prayer. Um, we've been really, really blessed to have uh, Lisa with us, who has come over from Kiev. Uh, and sometimes, uh, amazingly, God just sort of sends you the right people at the right time to give you a way into something. So um, Lisa has given us some details from uh, a church in Dnipro, uh, Dnipro Christian Church, uh, and their pastor there, Pastor Maxim. Uh, I've posted, if I've managed to get the technology right, onto Slack this morning, uh, a link to a short message from him that gives a bit of an update of things going on out there at the minute. Um, we're in the process just now of trying to make contact with Maxim uh, sort of personally to introduce ourselves uh, and to see if we can establish a bit of a relationship, uh, whether there's anything specifically we can pray for uh, whether other churches in Dundee as well might be able to help with. So I just wanted to give you briefly this morning three things that they do ask uh, for prayer for. Firstly, their outreach to refugees. Uh, in Dnipro City, once a week, they have a meeting for refugees from Donbass, Kherson, Kharkiv, and other occupied territories. People come and they receive groceries, essential items, uh, get to have conversations with one another, and also hear the gospel. And so a lot of people actually they're finding are really open to hearing the gospel uh, and want to come to the church services afterwards. Uh, one of the things they're realizing is there aren't enough jobs at the minute uh, for refugees who've been displaced and, and resettling uh, just because of the sheer number. Uh, so this sort of service to refugees is essential at the minute. Uh, and they estimate at this point that, that, that they'll have to do this for at least six months also. So firstly, they're outreach to refugees. Secondly, um, they're involved in rehabilitation for the injured. Uh, a center has been established for those who've lost limbs, both soldiers and civilians. Uh, the standard rehabilitation course in Europe costs about 6,000 euros, uh, they say, but will reduce, uh, the price will be reduced to about 1,000. But obviously still, that's, that's quite a financial uh, commitment. So the church is trying to raise money to help sponsor people with that. Uh, and then lastly, um, there's the need for supplies for Kharkiv as well. Some in the church have been visiting uh, Kharkiv and trying to help out there. Uh, and people out there are in need of just about everything. But the main sort of things are water filters. I'm not going to be able to say this right. Polyethylene um, for isolation of broken windows, stoves or materials for production of very simple uh, solid fuel burners, food and fuel. 
So that just gives you a few practical points maybe that you can pray for uh, and we hope that we might be able to establish a bit of a relationship with them and and we might be able to uh, regularly sort of pray for them but there might also as well be opportunities to practically help and serve them too. Uh, I wonder whether you uh, recognize this scene. I've got a slide here. Sorry, Pete, I should have um, warned you of this coming here. Uh, I don't know whether you picked this up. This is from uh, the debate uh, last week between potential future prime ministers. Uh, The crowd here were asked, raise your hands if you trust politicians. And here was the result. Nobody raised their hands. Not one. Sometimes it's hard to switch off that sort of distrust that we can have and that we can build up even when it comes to God. Even though all he's ever done is good, is right, is perfect, sometimes it's hard to turn off that distrust tap that we have for leaders. One of the passages we'll think about today is Proverbs 3. And Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, it encourages us. This morning, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let's pray just before we worship through song together, because I'm sure, like me, uh, we all will have had moments this week where we've fallen short in some way. And I bet that a lot of those moments, if we could analyze it and review it, would come down to somehow, in some way, not being quite sure in that moment if we could fully trust God. Does he really have our best interests at heart? Can I fully trust his word? So let's pray, and then we will sing together. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy and kindness towards us. We thank you that you are the only one who has only ever done all that is good and right and perfect in this world. Father, help us when we find ourselves struggling, if we're honest, to always completely trust you. We find ourselves sometimes tempted a little bit to hold some things back and to wonder whether we can really trust you with all of who we are and all of our lives. But Father, we thank you for that reminder from your word that we can trust all things to you. Help us, Lord, to trust you with all our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. Spirit, we pray that you might remind us of your unfailing and unending goodness and love and mercy towards us, that our hearts might be softened and turned to you again, that we might be renewed and restored again in the light of your glorious love for us. So Holy Spirit, pray that you might be moving amongst us this morning as we come before you and as we want to worship you and we want to find our strength and hope in you. We pray that you might speak to us and move within our hearts, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the band just to to lead us in, in worship together. continue reading in Proverbs. We've got two verses, one in chapter 19 and one in chapter 15. Proverbs 19 verse 8. Whoever gets sense 
loves his own soul, he who keeps understanding will discover good. And in chapter 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Amen. If you want to keep um, these passages open there before you, even better, probably just on, on that sheet, you'll find that helpful. Realized as I sat down that I forgot, Jacob, I have a little gift for you here. So before I fully forget and I'm just left with it, please take that. <laughs> Thank you so much. I knew I'd forget something. Terrible. Uh, this morning we're thinking about love. Love is one of the central interests of humanity, isn't it? It's the basis of much of our arts, our cinema, our literature, thought, entertainment. As the Beatles sang, all you need is love. And yet that's interesting because there's no evolutionary sense whatsoever to the concept of love. In fact, the concept of love itself points to there being a purpose beyond our mere existence. Who could put that there? Why is it that almost all of us seem to share this need and desire for love? Well, Proverbs has much wisdom on love. And so this morning, I just want to look in love in three directions. Love that is upwards between us and God, love inwards, love for ourselves or our soul, and love that is outwards, that is for others. And the idea is simple, it's this, that we're loved by God so that we can love ourselves and love others. Firstly, let's look upwards. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. And it shows us a love that is upwards, a love that is between us and God. Before we can ever love others, or even ourselves, we need to know how much God loves us as his children. Uh, the argument that's sort of put together here in, in this section of Proverbs isn't a linear argument. In fact, actually three questions are being asked together at the same time and sort of intermingled. He's firstly asking what, what are we not to do? We see that in verse 1, 3, and 7. He's also asking how, how, what do we do actually in order to, to be able to love God ourselves as well in verse 3 and 5 to 6. But then also he asks the question why? What's the motivation for holding close to God's love and trusting him in all things? First he's asking what? What not to do? There's three things not to do here. Three let nots if you look down to those verses. And the answer what not to do is don't forget him. Don't forget his love for you. He said don't forget my teaching. Who is my it's an important place just to hit pause, isn't it? On the one hand, the my here is Solomon, the human author. But as always, we also believe that the author ultimately is God himself through the human author. That Solomon wrote, as Peter puts it later, as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So then the my teaching is God's teaching. Don't forget my teaching. Remind yourself. Let your heart Keep my commandments. 
And there's an interesting thing. Why is it heart? Let your heart keep my commandments. You might think that behavior is about your hands, your conduct, what you do, or perhaps even your head, what you believe, what you will, what you desire. But in reality, it's our heart that leads us to keep God's commands, or not. It's the heart where we decide and know what we love, what we fear, what motivates us. The narratives that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about the world, about others. Let your heart keep my commandments. Steadfast love and faithfulness not forsake you. It will be put there, don't forsake steadfast love and faithfulness. But in the original sort of writing there in the Hebrew, it will say steadfast love and faithfulness not forsake you. And it's about letting loose, don't let go of. And there's a contrast there, not letting go of God's faithfulness and steadfast love with the binding around you. Don't let it loose, let it be bound to you. And the point here, I hope that you'll see, and this is significant, is that the, the, the command, the encouragement that Solomon's giving isn't so much about us uh, letting go. Uh, it's about us not letting go of God's love and faithfulness, not God's love waning. It's not that the faithfulness uh, and uh, love of God might wane, but it's that we might let go. Don't let it loose. Let it forsake you not. Instead, bind it to your heart. Be not wise in your own eyes, verse 7 tells us. That's what we're left with, actually, isn't it? When we forget God's teaching, what we're left with is attempting to do what's right in our own eyes. And yet that alone is enough for chaos, We see that elsewhere in scripture. You'd think it would be a good thing that we would try to do what's right in our own eyes. That we're trying. The world's trying to do that, isn't it? They're trying to do what's right in their own eyes. They're trying. And yet chaos comes from the untethering of morality, from an objective moral standard to just this individualism. It's like a marina full of boats untethered from their mooring drifting with the currents. Judges, as a whole book, prefaces all the great moments of moral failing amongst God's people with a simple phrase. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Three things not to do. But now how? Or what do we do? Now we get three things we are too do. And the simple point is to trust him, not yourself. Puts it in three different ways. Keep close. Look at verse 3. Bind them around your neck. Write them on your heart. It's a physical action that symbolizes a spiritual intent. See this elsewhere in scripture. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, one of the most important parts of the Torah, where it commands that people love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And later it says, Bind them as a sign on your hand. And so some Orthodox Jews, even today, still do this, that they literally physically have these verses bound around them. Why? Because externally, physically, 
symbolizes what they were internally, spiritually seeking. We do this. We do this in lots of ways. One way is those who are married wear a ring. Symbolizes what we've promised. It's an external symbol of what we have promised to be and to give. Keep close. Bind them round your neck. Write them on your heart. But secondly, trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. The most important part of that small sentence is the word all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Obi-Wan Kenobi gives this advice to Luke after Luke has realized that Leia is his sister. He says, your insight serves you well. Bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the emperor. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And then thirdly, he encourages us, look up. In all your ways, acknowledge, look to him. And then there's a promise. He'll make straight your paths. He'll make clear your paths. As we look to God, we find he goes ahead. Clearing a path, cutting back the overgrowth. There's the same idea in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. that speaks of Jesus being the author and perfecter of our faith. And the word there literally is pioneer. And it, what it really means is the one who goes ahead, cutting away everything before. Clearing a path. Making a way where there wasn't before. And thirdly, he asks why. Verses 2, 4, and 8. What is our motivation what we get at the other end of this, of actually trusting in God and his love. And the point is simple. It's that God wants you happy. Length of days, verse 2, years of life and peace, they will add. You see that happiness in an element of time. Those things are all about time, aren't they? Length of days, years of life, peace. A quality of time. Not losing time to discontent. Um, the best way we see this, and some of you will have been experiencing it or will experience it soon, is on holiday. You know that there is always a percentage of your holiday to be written off because the time is devalued by getting over the stress of packing and traveling, trying to switch off from work and everything else, but you're not quite yet. You then actually rest a little bit you then start to realize you're going to have to pack and travel back home again. And you start to get stressed to ensure you make the most of every moment. You can be on holiday without holidaying. You can be alive and not living. Here the promise is to know what it is to be truly living all your life. Length of days, years of life, peace, they will add. But secondly, there's a blessing there. Look at verse 4. Favor and success be given in the sight of God and man. Grace and repute in front of God and before people. There's a blessing. God wants to bless you. He wants you to flourish. Because it's a great advert for him. There's a thing of time, of blessing. And then thirdly, about the body. Look at verse 8. Healing to the body and refreshment to your bones. The love of God leads to health 
within the body. There's a holistic nature to us here, that we are whole beings. We can't be healthy really at all if our spirit isn't healthy within us. No matter how much you may be healthy in other elements of your life. God loves us so deeply, even when, and even enough to discipline us sometimes. Look at verse 11 and 12 there. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. There's an element to it as well that sometimes, as a loving father to us, God does also discipline us, but always for our good. Don't grow weary of it. One of my children this week, uh, sporadically, this just sort of happens, you know, YouTube gets banned, uh, and this week that has happened again. Uh, and so I've, I've had to reprove my children, and one of them is resistant to this. Uh, and so he's done this on Netflix, and then on the next slide you'll see the details of that. I want normal YouTube back. Uh, <laughs> I'll not disclose their identity. They'll continue to have diplomatic immunity. Don't grow weary of your father's loving reproof. Firstly, there's a love upwards, a love between us and God for for saying, don't let go of God's love for you. And there's all the blessings that come with it. But secondly, it's about love inwards, love for our own soul. Knowing the love of God for us and loving God in return, as we can't help but do, should actually lead us to love ourselves. The idea of self-love or self-care, however you want to put it, is one of the more popular ideas probably this scripture could put across for our modern society. And yet, it's full of challenges. Why is it hard? Well, what if you've never actually been or felt as though you've been loved by others before? That's a difficult idea. What does loving yourself really look like? Is it really little more than an excuse to do whatever you want? This is a picture from Parks and Recreation, this series here. And every year they have a treat yourself day. And the idea is just do whatever you want for a day. Love yourself. Is that what loving yourself looks like? Or maybe we could ask the question, do we struggle to love ourselves? Maybe the problem is not that we don't love ourselves, but we do love ourselves and think about ourselves an awful lot. An awful lot more than anybody else ever does. And yet, equally, nobody else ever speaks or views or treats us anywhere near as bad as we do ourselves. The ultimate toxic relationship we are all in is with ourselves. Police sang this song, So Lonely, and there's this great line in it. In this theatre that I call my soul, I always play the starring role. I'm always thinking about me, whether for good or for bad, one way or other, I'm thinking about me. So it's a challenging thing to think about. Rebellion from God and pursuing sin, though, is always settling for less than what God would give us. Look at this, whoever gets sense, gets wisdom, loves his own soul. Key product of finding wisdom is to love your own soul. And the word there for soul, it means lots of things. Your life, your being, your creature, 
yourself. See, we tend to think, and this is some of the problem with this maybe, soul equals spirit. Soul is metaphysical. It's beyond the physical realm. The soul's not connected to the body. The soul and body somehow get separated, which is a very Greco-Roman view, not, not a Hebrew one. All the writers here of this books really are predominantly and primarily Hebrew in their worldview. What that means is that soul care is spiritual stuff. By extension, we imagine that none of that would be physical. So soul care is reduced to reading my Bible, praying, fasting, all good things, by the way. But it means that we'll be very unhealthy and imbalanced. We'll be like the guy who I've I've just started sort of back at the gym. Uh, So over the next few months, you'll probably be noticing me just casually calling you all bro a lot more and and things like this. Uh, Asking you what supplements you're on and and all that sort of nonsense. Um, One of the things I'm discovering is obviously there's a lot of different characters at the gym. uh, And one of them is this guy. The gym has a whole bunch of them. You know, absolutely ripped arms and shoulders and chicken legs. You know, fight with them is really, really easy because you just snap the legs uh, and they ain't going anywhere. Sometimes this is what we do. All the effort and the energy is placed on the head. We're just walking around with big bulbous heads and unhealthy bodies and hearts. Because we misunderstand what the soul is. If our soul is our whole being, which here it is, um, then soul care is just as much about our physical health. If our soul is our whole being, then soul care is just as much about our emotional health. And if our soul is our whole being, then soul care is just as much about our mental health. But how do we practically love our soul? How do we do that? Maybe the easiest way to understand it is by thinking about how we love others and try to do that. Think about this, eyes, mouth, and hands. How we see other people, what we say, what we do. Our eyes, how we see ourselves. Ways that we see ourselves and value ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 to 17. We regard no one according to the flesh. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Do we view ourselves that way? We're a new creation. We're no longer only in the flesh. No longer who we were defined by our past. It's about our eyes, how we see ourselves. It's about our mouth, what we say about ourselves and to ourselves that either helps or hinders. Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, anything that's commendable, anything with any excellence in it, anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. But not only think, in your mind, in your heart, speak those things to yourself. It's about how we see ourselves, our eyes. It's about what we say about ourselves. It's also about our hands, what we do. There are things that we can do for ourselves, for our self-care. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 to 8. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. The thing I take from that verse is that bodily training is important. There are things you can physically do for yourself to love yourself, to care for your soul. And there are spiritual things you can do too. Train yourself for godliness. Whoever keeps understanding will discover good. Whoever watches, whoever preserves, whoever guards understanding will discover good. You'll find good at the end of it. 
gives us a clue, though, that it's a battle. Whoever keeps you out of God's understanding. It's a lifelong battle. It's one where you need friends, where you'll see slow progress. And when we first came to Dundee uh, two and a half years ago, so I remember seeing a sign up on, on a building around the corner from us uh, on Eagle Mills. It says, change is good, transformation is even better. And I thought, oh, that's a great sign. There's a lot of truth in that. This is it two and a half years later. <laughs> sign remains brilliant. And no less true. Very little observable transformation. Much of the time, that is our spiritual life. Transformation is happening. Whether you can see it or not might be another thing. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's a battle. Whoever keeps God's understanding will discover, will find good. Right thinking leads to experiencing good. It's not only about thinking right. And here's the thought above all thoughts to retain. This is from a a guy called Ignatius of Loyola. You can tell that he's a pioneer and an innovator. I don't know how good your eyesight is, but uh, look at that eyebrow game. Um, either he is, you know, just living in 2050 at that point in the Middle Ages, or, you know, the guy who did the painting was basically the first guy to do filters um, ahead of Snapchat. But that's some strong eyebrows. Perfect looking. Ignatius says um, that sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. That's the thought above all thoughts to retain God only and always is interested in my deepest happiness. And the word that might be very operative there is deepest. You'll have some surface level happinesses that you'll seek for. And you might sometimes have to let go of those. But your deepest happiness, he always has in mind and in heart. Following Jesus is a way of life to enjoy, not a list of ideas to agree with. And so Proverbs is deeply theological and yet deeply practical. If you want to love others, you should. If you love God, you have to love yourself. Because the one that you love, loves you. It's about love that is upwards, it's between us and God. It's about love that's inwards for our own soul. And then lastly, it's about love that is outwards. The love of God towards us, which leads us to loving our souls, will always lead to us loving other people. We'll only really love others, in fact, if we actually do know God's love for us, and if we love God as a result, and if we love our soul. That's the world's problem, isn't it? The world does indeed talk about love for others, and that's right, and that's good, and we can affirm that. But it's not rooted in the love of God. It depends on my willpower, my emotional state, my emotional capacity, and there is the problem. Proverbs 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs, or actually the the way they could be just vegetables, where love is, than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And so there's a cultural thing going on here, and, and it's true in many other cultures still today. If you're having guests over, you get meat. 
even if you don't actually often do that, and maybe if you can't actually uh, afford that at other occasions, when you have guests with you, you make every effort to do that, and you try to get the best that you can possibly afford. So, sorry to offend you if you're a vegan or, or a vegetarian here this morning, but here, the point and the sort of subtext of this proverb is that serving someone just vegetables, just herbs, would be seen as a slight on your guests. Like, what is your problem with them to just serve that up? So, the contrast that Solomon's playing on is, it's better to give a meal that may look bad on you, with genuine love, than a great-looking meal that's absent of genuine love. You see that contrast there between love and hate being there. You can do grand gestures for people and not have love for people. You see that better is those vegetables than a fattened ox. And there's the contrast between the vegetables or the herbs and the fattened ox. The grand gestures are not the same as, and not as important as genuine love for people. You could do grand gestures and not have love for people. Grand gestures aren't as important as love for people. Thirdly, loving people deeply doesn't have to be flashy. Here is a dinner of herbs with love. The amount of pounds spent doesn't equate to the amount of love expressed. You can turn the most simple gifts into glimpses of God's loving kindness to others. It's a dinner of herbs, but it's one where love is. And then fifthly here, you can't hate anyone as followers of Jesus. But let's be real. We're tempted to. Here's a meal, a fattened ox, and yet hatred with it. Why does he give this example, Solomon? Why does he see this as important? Food is really important. An important means of showing love, breaking down barriers, and building relationships. We see this uh, across cultures. Um, One of the other sort of programs I'm watching on Netflix at the minute, slowly, uh, is called Somebody Feed Phil. It's basically a sort of cross between a travel and a food show. Uh, And so he just goes around all these different cities eating loads of different food. And the interesting thing about it, though, is when he meets different people and they explain some of these dishes and they show him how it works and they say how it came about and all the culture and everything like this. And he meets these people from all sorts of different places, different languages, different cultures, different kinds of food and, and everything else. But the common theme every time, and it doesn't take long for them to get to it, is speaking about the love that goes into it and that comes out of it. Because one of the ways that we forge bonds as human beings, that we create relationships, that we build community, even across cultures, is via food. And this is a biblical idea. We remember Jesus' love and we unite together in vulnerability and need around communion. Very humble meal, but a meal nonetheless. When Jesus returns, what will he do? One of the first things he will do is throw a feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the loving father sees the return of his wayward son, what is one of the first things he does? He throws a feast. You don't have to cook great. You don't even have to cook at all. You can go somewhere else. That doesn't matter. 
But the point is, there is something to sitting at table with other people. Hospitality remains one of the most effective ways we can be doing this in everyday life. Loving other people. In fact, the word hospitality, philos, xenos, two uh, two words. Philos, love, xenos, others. Xenophobia, fear of others, hatred of others. Hospitality, love of others. Love for other people. What if the best way of mission going forwards isn't so much a program or an event or a course, but an invitation into community, an invitation into a shared life, invitation into love around a table. Love is all you need. When you know the love of God, you can't help but love him, which leads you to love your own soul and to love others. You can talk about all the programs in the world, but the only real program of the church is love. Love upwards, between us and God. Love inwards, for our soul. And love outwards, for other people. Let me pray, and then we will uh, sing a, a closing song together. Father God, in a world that is desperately seeking for love in all sorts of different places, and yet sometimes is so very confused about exactly what that might look like and how we would find it. Will we even find it? How do we really express that to one another? In a world that on the one hand knows so much the value and the place and the importance of love, wants to feel that and to know that and experience that, and does want to feel that and experience that and give that to others, but is lost. Lord, we thank you that we can find ourselves moored in your love, anchored by your unwavering, unchanging faithfulness and steadfastness towards us. Help us, Lord, though, not to let go of your love for us. Help us, Lord, to know something of the depth, the riches and the mercy of you, Lord God. Help us to know that we are your beloved children. Help us, Lord, to have a right love for our own soul. And Lord, help us to find those places in which we need to grow in actually loving and and caring for ourselves. Not, Not just in our head, but in our body and in our spirit, in our emotions, in our mental health. To know that that's a right response to knowing and understanding your love for us. And Lord, we ask your help to be able to abound with love for other people. Love for people who may be very different to us. Lord, we pray as, a, as individuals, but also as a congregation, we might be really marked by love for one another and for others around us. And Lord, help us to see and to, to grow in the expression of that, even in just very simple ways of opening our lives, opening our homes, opening our tables to express love in the way that we can. Lord, we thank you that you always have our deepest happiness at heart and that we can trust you. So we pray for your help to trust you with all our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. 
to find blessing and refreshment and strength in you. To find healing for our bones. Holy Spirit, I ask that you might work these things deep within our hearts, I pray. Amen. We invite you to stand in a few moments and uh, the band will, will lead us in a closing song together.